Well, some really interesting connections this week on the OHL podcast. We get the chance. Well, it's all about me. It's selfish. I get the chance to catch up with the guy who was the captain of the Guelph Storm when I first broke into the Ontario Hockey League as a broadcaster. Now, he's still playing. And I'm still in the O, except he's been way more places than I have. Charlie Stevens joins us on the OHL podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, first overall pick into the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, let's start right there, because that's not something they can take away from you ever. What's that like? Uh, you know what? It was a long time ago. <laughs> first of all. But, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, just part of my you know, teenage years, you know, I didn't really plan on being drafted high. I didn't, it wasn't an aspiration of mine. It just kind of happened. <clears throat> I had a good year in, in junior B and, and I was a big kid. So, uh, you know, I think back then, I think they were looking more for the big, you know, power forward, you know, it was a different kind of game. Um, but, but things have changed and, uh, and, and it's flattering, but yeah, it was a long time ago and it didn't, it didn't mean a whole lot at the time. It was just a way to get into the league. And, and here I was. So back then, did you have any idea? Like you said, it wasn't an aspiration, but as that entry draft is coming closer, do you have an idea that you're going to be one of those top picks? Yeah, I, I did. I knew um, my agent knew like we had, uh, you know, connections at St. Mike's and that's where I was headed. So I knew it wasn't going, what was going to happen. And, and I had a speech prepared and everything. So um, that kind of made it easier, I guess it wasn't uh know nerve-wracking and I was just kind of like I knew it was going to happen and the day went smooth so you talk about how much the game has changed and yet you're still a part of it I know I'm kind of jumping around the timeline here but how on earth do you pull off that feat Charlie uh it's it's an addiction <laughs> it is that's what it boils down to I'm addicted like yeah you play hockey for so long and then to be able to, I don't know some guys are when they retired some they're able to just shut that switch off and and I I, I can't, <laughs> but I've got, I've got three daughters, like I mentioned earlier, and I've coached their teams and I, I love it. I have fun with it. Um, and then playing myself <clears throat> when I retired, um, I came back to Canada and, you know, I still had to scratch that itch. So I played in uh, the senior league and the Allen cup league. And it was great. It was a lot of retired pro guys. Um, then COVID obviously shut everything down. And then the Elora team, got back in the senior league and, you know, I had a couple connections there. Like, are you officially retired? I was like, well, kind of. And then uh, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again, indeed. Okay. You mentioned those connections to St. Mike's when you came into the O and as you joined that team, it was kind of the return uh, or the entry into the Toronto market for the Ontario hockey mm -hmm. league. We still kind of pick on it just a little bit, Charlie, because it doesn't get the fan support that you see in other places. But what was it like being a part of that as it returned or became a part of the Ontario Hockey League in Toronto? Uh, you know what? To be absolutely honest, it was tough. Um, like we all know, the media there and the pressure, um, not necessarily tough on me. Like I was just there to play a game, but um, I don't know if they had the, the right things in place. I think um, there is a long tradition at St. Mike's with hockey, um, but it's historical and, and coming uh, into the OHL, I don't know if they had all their ducks in a row and, and looking back on it now at the time, you know, you thought, yeah, I'm 16 years old. I'm just going to play hockey, but looking back on it, um, you know, we had Mark Napier who had never coached before. Uh, Mike Fuda was uh, young into the game and um, they just, 
we it seemed like we were kind of winging it, which probably shouldn't be, but it, it turned out okay. Like we had a decent year, but then as the years passed, I think it, I, I honestly I didn't follow it that much. I, they don't have a team now, and I just kind of like faded. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was tough. I think if they had had the right pieces of the puzzle, it could have went much better. Um, but it, I think it was a bit of a blindside there in, in St. Mike's that first year or two. What about that barn? That is a barn to play in. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't too excited about that. You know, I, I, I was a skating forward and I wanted, you know, I, I love the big ice, but uh, that was a, that was a barn. That was tiny. <laughs> it was narrow. Hash marks were like touching the boards. Um, you know, it was tight. Um, we had, did have maybe six or seven games at Maple Leaf Gardens, which was really cool. Um, except when you get a thousand fans in a 16,000 seat arena. But um, it was it was still nostalgic. It was pretty cool to be on that ice. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, it was it was a tough setup to to get into the league as a 16 year old for sure. When you were playing that rookie season and you had come into the league as the first overall selection, do you get a lot of chirps? Do you get a lot of extra slashes on the ice when you're trying to make your way through the league? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it like affected the game physically, not like you're getting extra hacks and whacks and I was a big guy, but, um, yeah, mentally, like I was always kind of mental warfare, right? You're getting chirped all the time. But I mean, if it's being chirped for going first overall, it's not that that's not going to cut too deep, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, there's all kinds of chirps, which we probably can't say on the air, but, um, you know, that's the least of my worries is getting chirped for, for having success. But, uh, you know, it was, it was it's part of the game. It's still going to continue to be part of the game. The, uh, the mental warfare that goes on out there. How much different did you find the O from your year prior in junior B? Yeah, I was in Leamington junior B and uh, <clears throat> it was, it was a step, um, but not a leap. You know, it, it was back then it was like that, that junior B, the Western Ontario junior B league there. It was, it was pretty good. You know, we had, Joe Thornton and Brian West, we had like a decent amount of names coming through there and uh, it wasn't a huge leap, but um, I think, you know, it was, it was different going from Leamington, the town of, I don't even know, like probably 10,000 or less to Toronto, you know what I mean? And driver's license is new and you know what I mean? Like your 16 year old kid, I had to take a bus to the subway to get to St. Mike's to go to school, to a school that was tough too. You know, like I, I'm, I was a decent student, you know, eighties, couple marks in the nineties, couple marks in the high seventies, you know, and so I was doing okay in school. And then you get to St. Mike's and you're like, Ooh, you know, everything dropped 15, 20% and you had to battle for it. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of changes outside the rank, I guess, that were more influential than the, the on ice stuff. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because all my years I've sort of overlooked that aspect of the game. And it's something that we've been talking about a lot more lately you're a 16 year old kid mm-hmm. and you're all of a sudden thrust into this brand new city with a brand new family, trying to play the game that you love, but figure out all of these other things. And as you're talking about from Leamington to Toronto, that's a massive leap for a young man. Yeah. And I grew up outside of London and now which is a tiny little town, but um, so yeah, you're, you're making leaps for sure. And, and I, I would have considered myself fairly mature and, and I thought I handled it okay. There's maybe some things I would have done different, maybe some things I would have done the same, but, um, you know, getting to that 16 year old in Toronto, but also in a new organization where, 
they didn't have it all figured out either. You know, like billets were just kind of getting pieced together just weeks before the season. And, you know, like one of my uh, buddies of that year was Chris Cava, defenseman. And uh, it took me like 45 minutes to get to his house if I wanted to get there. You know what I mean? Like bus, subway, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't like Leamington where he could walk or bike to somebody's house or whatever, but it was, it was just, there was a lot, like, like you said there, a lot, you don't think about a lot outside the rink that uh, you have to figure out, you know, and, and fortunately I, I did play in Leamington the year before and I was away from home that year. So I already had been away from home. If that had been my brand new first year away from home, you know, homesickness and all that stuff might've kicked in and it would have made it even worse. But uh, at least I had that experience under my belt, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty big jump. If I remember correctly, Chris would have been, if I'm thinking of the stats, Chris would have been a pretty good friend to have. Not that you were a shrinking violet, you were a big kid coming in, but that guy wasn't afraid of anything on the ice and the penalty minutes, minutes proved it. Yeah, no, he was a tough team, man. Was, he, we got pretty close that year and yeah, he just, he played the game hard, simple. Um, and like we said, it was a different game there. It wasn't uh, necessarily all skill focused. You know, there, there was a part of the skill was being able to run your guy through the board. So um, I was a big guy and I, I, I kind of, I think deep down, I was a big player physically, but I, I wanted to play small. You know, I, I liked to skate. I liked to dangle. I liked to, you know, pass the puck around and score. And, and that was my game. And I think that's something that when I talk to, younger players coming up, I'm like, you know, you just got to be you, right? Like if you have the influence of a coach and the GM and your agent and all the other pressures that you have, and they're telling you one thing and you might want to do the next, and you just got to be true to yourself and, and play your game. And I kind of, kind of, I got kind of cut up in <clears throat> your six, three, two twenty-five. you know, you need to be Eric Lindros when I wanted to be Marilyn, Mew. you know, so it was, it was kind of like, if I had a, if I had, could talk to my 16 year old self, I would be like, Hey, you just, just do you don't worry about everybody else and, and, and go with it. Yeah. Easier to say now than it was to do then, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So given, given the bumpy road that there was with, you know, Toronto St. Mike's getting traded might not have been the worst thing to go to an organization like Guelph. What was that experience like? So yeah, that, that trade. So I had a no trade clause in my contract in the and uh, that trade was requested. And that was um, heavily influenced by my agents. They, Darren Ferris and Bobby Orr. And um, they're like, you got to get out of here because there was stuff going on outside the rink. The, that was the whole um, David Frost and Mike Jefferson, Dan, that whole situation, which was kind of creeping in there. And um, it, it wasn't going to get any better. So I had my timing when I left there was good. It was kind of before that blew up even bigger. Um, and then going to Guelph, Guelph's awesome. Like Guelph was a great place to play. Nothing bad to say about that. You know, a uh, uh, small town feel, great fans and, and great arena. And, and it was just a, a good setup for me. And while you're there, some guys named, uh, let me see, St. Pierre, Paye, Dustin Brown start showing up and you're like, okay, we got ourselves a little something cooking here, don't we? Yeah, we had Craig Anderson and Nets. We had uh, yeah, Brownie. We had um, Kevin Dolman on D. And, you know, like, so there's some good pieces of the puzzle. And uh, and a lot of guys went on from that team that year to play pro hockey. And even the first year I got there, we had guys like Kent McDonnell and uh, Ryan Davis and Kevin Mitchell, that little defenseman. Like, he, he was great. Like, we we had a good group of guys. And, I, you know, we, we made a good run there and we, we had success. 
Um, but then how my Guelph days ended, uh, same thing, no trade clause, didn't go anywhere, but <clears throat> I was drafted to Washington originally, didn't get signed, got redrafted to Colorado. And I'm playing my 19 year old year owned by Colorado and I'm going to training camp after the season and great shape doing bet like my best. I go in there, I'm working hard and I get cut from the HL team in Hershey. So it was unexpected. And now I'm coming back to Guelph and they already had three overages. So I'm the fourth overage. And Jeff Jackson was the coach at the time. And he's like, well, we got to figure this out. And, you know, we're two, three weeks into the season and he, he wants to rotate four. Like he wants to rotate one out of the lineup every four games. And I'm like, well, I can't, I can't miss 25% of the games this year. I, I've got to play. Um, so then I requested a trade um, to London. <clears throat> no trade clause. So I'm like, I just want to go to London. That's it. That's where I'm from. It'd be nice to live at home for, for once or for not for once, but for, for one time in the last five years. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was going to Western. And I'm like, it's the perfect setup. And it was also the Hunters. And the Hunters are awesome. You know, good people. Uh, one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. Um, so going there was was awesome. And then talk about people you play with. I go there <clears throat> as an overage player, 20 years old. Here's my right winger, Corey Perry, and my left winger, Rick Nash. I'm like, okay, at, like we know those names now, but at the time, you you think Corey Perry's a skinny little guy now. You should have seen him when he was 16 years old. And then Rick Nash on my left wing, and they were doing amazing things then. So I was spoiled playing there, and I feel like we logged 25 to 30 minutes a night too. So it all worked out great for me. Uh, no regrets. I'm glad that move happened, and uh, and and we went on from there. Corey Perry is just coming off one of the most remarkable national hockey league runs with back to back to back Stanley cup finals appearances. You talk about him, you know, you think he's a skinny guy now, but when you think of the Corey Perry, you knew then, and now you look at what he's been able to accomplish. Any surprise on your part? No. Yeah. Like playing with him when he was, cause he was an underage that year and he was, so he would have been 16 and Rick Nash 17, but the way he played, you know, he played like he was fearless he'd get tossed around. Yes. Cause, but he still does. And he's still effective. You know what I mean? He's great hands. He touches the puck every time it's near the net. And that was his, his game. It's, he was never, you know, dangling and blown by people wide. Like he's just, he's just knew what was good for him. He knew what worked for him and he executed it perfectly. You mentioned the hunters being there in London. And I did want to ask about that because the year you got there, was the year it all changed. And since Dale and Mark took over that franchise and Dale became the coach, uh, it's been an absolute model of success. Every team in the OHL would like to emulate that. Can you put your finger on what it was when Dale took over that just changed? Like maybe you can finally be the guy that answers this for us, Terry. They had just bought the team and they had the old ice house. And uh, <clears throat> I believe Lindsay Hofford was the coach when I first got there, but 
he only lasted a couple of weeks. I think Dale's the game plan was to get Dale on the bench, and so he he came in after they let Lindsey Hofford go, um, and it was, you know, we were a, a an eighth place team that year. We ended up beating out Plymouth first round, lost to Erie second round in six games, and then they went on to win it all. So like, we had a team that wasn't much, but we got so much out of it, and that I feel is from coaching. And I think <clears throat> now that I coach my own kids and I and I help out here and there, I realize that 90% of coaching is mental, is psychological. It, you know, everybody can have their own X and O plan and this and that, but it's getting the guys to execute, getting them to believe in themselves. And Dale, um, Dale was able to do that. He brought the best out of people. Um, and he almost felt, felt like <clears throat> guilty not playing your best for him because he's such a good guy. He's got your back. And, uh, and it, you just wanted to do your best. Uh, as far as the, the, the move to the new rink, that was the year after I left. And then I think they won the Memorial Cup or hosted it the year after. Like, so it was just, I think the on-ice product that Dale was able to deliver just fell right into the business side too. Like you can't, he wouldn't have been able to do that if he had a, a you know, two and 50 team like they did the one year like you can't have a losing team you have to have a good product on the ice first I think Dale built that foundation there and then and then the business end took off you talk a little bit about coaching and your kids today but even prior to that with one of your former coaches Sean Camp you end up coaching uh University of Guelph Griffins for a few years as an assistant how'd you like it you know I loved it it was uh it was nice because I was like assistant 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 you know I was like <laughs> I was that guy that just came to practice work on skills had fun with the guys you know and 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 got to watch Sean Kemp do his thing and uh yeah like I said Camper was there in Guelph and he's he is maybe one of the most positive guys out there you know I don't know if you know him well but he's he's your biggest cheerleader uh, and your coach at the same time so um when I retired I didn't really know what I was gonna do and uh I, I'm only 20 minutes north of Guelph, <clears throat> so going there was was perfect. And it's funny because I called him up after probably not talking to him for a decade, and I'm like, hey, and he's like, yep, come on out, right? Like, you know, I practice Tuesday. I'll send you the schedule, and so welcoming. Um, so I was able to do that um, in my I think three seasons, four three seasons after I retired, um, and then just life gets busy, and I didn't have the time commitment. To, to keep it up, but uh, I, I'd love it. And I, I still text him every once in a while and see how things are going. As I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, uh, you had the C on your jersey in Guelph. What does it mean to you to get that letter on your jersey in the Ontario Hockey League? Uh, you know, it, it's flattering for sure. Um, it's a sign of maturity and in, in not just your on-ice stuff. You know, it's not necessarily all about, you know, points and how you play and that it's a lot of it um, is about being able to to get the guys going in the right direction. Like like I just said, it's 90 percent psychological as far as coaching, you know, uh, a good captain, good assistant captains, good leadership on your team is going to make the coach's job even easier. You know, so it's it's something guys take pride in, uh, but it's also something that's easy to do if you have a good group of guys and you know, when you're all pulling the rope same way, it's just things go so much more smooth. You know, when you have a team that's losing and you're the captain, it's also, it hurts your pride a little bit too. You want to give it that extra. You got to be that example. So um, it's definitely flattering uh, to wear a C or an A on any team. 
Um, and, and I, I don't think it depends on the kid, but I don't think it's that stressful mentally. Um, because the reason you're named the captain is because of what you're doing on the ice. It shouldn't really change your game. Um, but it should, you know, give you a, a voice that's listened to a little bit more in the dressing room. Were you vocal in the room? Uh, yes, I was never a rah rah guy. You know, I was always, you know, quiet ish, but when you spoke, people listen. It's, you know, I find it's, it's more respectful that way. You know, if you have a, a captain or a leader, that's just always go, go, go. You maybe listen to him a little less, even though it doesn't discount what he's saying. It's just uh, when you speak a little less often, maybe people, you know, people's ears perk up a little bit more. So that was my, more of my leadership style. It was kind of like say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. And, and, uh, and it, it worked well. We were talking earlier about some of those players that you had on those Guelph teams with you, including Dustin Brown. It just so happens that we're having this conversation in the days after Dustin Brown not only had his number retired, but a statue erected for him outside the arena in L.A. When they erect the Charlie Stevens statue, where is it going to be? That's never never happening. (laughs) No, I'm not getting a statue, that's for sure uh that's a bit much but uh you know that's that's worthy of, of what dustin did in la and what he did all over the place he was just a really good kid um good head on his shoulders you know never got into trouble just in, in work ethic that was unmatched you know good example of a hockey player when you look back on your ohl days charlie you know i i was thinking of that and you alluded to it the upset of Plymouth in the first round when you were in your OA year with London, come in as the eight seed, knock off the number one. Um, what stands out to you as, as a memory? What really is burned into your brain from your years in the O? Uh, like, I think it's almost dissected into half, like when I smell face, you know, like we mentioned, you're 16 to 20 years old. Like there's so much you learn in life, whether you're in the O or not, if you're just, you know, average Joe, you your development, you're learning so much about the do's and don'ts and in, in, in life in general. So I learned a ton outside the rink, you know, you, you make some mistakes, you learn from them and then, you know, you grow. And, uh, you know, so that, that is a lot of, you know, what the talk is now with mental health and all that stuff when you're in that 16 to 20 in uh, junior hockey. Um, and then as far as on the ice, it was just a, a game. Like you, you're just, I don't know. For me, I always realize I'm like, I'm playing a game and I get to do this and I'm actually getting paid, even though it was like 50 bucks a week or something. But um, you just, you just, it was the love of the game, you know? And, and that's why I'm, I admitted at the beginning of the conversation, I'm addicted. I still play. And I, I want to still play as, you know, I want to stay healthy and, and be able to do it and, and do it with my kids and, and have fun. But um, I never really got caught up in the business end of hockey. I didn't, you know, I, I just figured I worried about the on ice product the rest will take for take care of itself. And, and it, it does sometimes get a little bit, um, a little bit too much, too businessy, if that's a word where, where you're treated like a commodity. But at the end of the day, if you can understand that, you know what, it's kind of, you are, you are a commodity, right? It's, it's a business, right? There it's big money. Like you said, the London Knights and all these franchises that are making millions and are worth, you know, tens of millions in their, in their franchise value. It is a business. So I think, a lot of it comes down to just uh, how focused you can be. You know, you keep the off ice stuff together and you keep your on ice stuff producing and, and, and you have fun along the way. 
So speaking of that business side, then, how tough was it for you after being taken in the second round by Washington when it didn't work out there? Were you confident you'd get that other shot, which you did with Colorado, Uh, obviously, but. Yeah, uh, not really. Like, I wouldn't say I was confident. Like, I got drafted to Washington, happy to be there, Um, went to training camp a couple years, and and I had a good couple years while I was there. I think the year that um, I was supposed to sign, like that second year under uh, under, um, being drafted by them, I think I had 38 goals. You know, like I had a good season. I thought maybe I'd get a a smaller contract or something and, and nothing, but um, they actually sent me a letter, which I think is uncommon. It just explained why. And they, they said, you know, we only have X amount of contracts. There's only this much left that year. They drafted, I think I was their fifth pick and I was, I think 31st or second overall. So they had a lot of picks. And then right after me, I think they had, so I think they just had a lot of guys. They had a deep draft. And you're only allowed to sign, I think, 50 NHL contracts, including your HL team. So they sent me a letter, said, sorry, it's not going to work out. Wish you all the best. And that's it, which which I respect. And then re-entered the draft, not knowing what's going to happen and got drafted to Colorado. Um, and I was happy. You know, at least somebody wanted me. And uh, then played my overage year. And that, um, that ended. And then we're in the summer and I'm like, okay, well now what, right. I haven't heard anything from Colorado. I had my education package from uh, the OHL and I was already thinking, well, London, maybe I'll go to Western. And, and then, uh, it was like a week or two after I was having those thoughts. And I actually talked to, uh, I forget who the person there in, in Western is Clark, I think is his last name, but anyway, then Colorado offers me this contract. It's kind of out of the blue. And I debated it for about a minute. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. You're right. I want to play hockey. I, I did have to think like I've got five years of education paid for versus this contract that wasn't great. Um, but I'm like, you know what? I want to play hockey. So signed it, took it. And it, my first game in the NHL was that that first year at Christmas. I think it was uh, December 27th. Got to play a game in the NHL. And I remember talking to family. They're like, who cares? You, you got a game under your belt. You got one. You know, you got one more than a lot of people. So it was the right call kind of thing. And, and I was happy with it. Yeah, that's like I said at the beginning. Nobody ever takes away first overall into the Ontario Hockey League. Nobody ever takes away the eight games you played in the National Hockey League. What was that first game like for you? Did you get the rookie lap? Uh, you know what? I don't remember. I think I probably dragged my heels to make sure I didn't go first. But uh, <laughs> no, I remember... Uh, you know, just trying to soak it in. And I knew I wasn't going to play a lot of minutes. Um, it was interesting because I didn't really understand, like it was my first year probably, I didn't understand like kind of how things worked. You know, like Joe Sackick, he sprained his ankle and he was going to be out a week or so. And I get called up and I'm like, well, I'm not taking Joe's spot. I know that for damn sure. But then the, the trickle up, so then I'm fourth line center, which is, which is fine. I'm happy to be there. I get to play. Like I probably only played seven or eight minutes that game or last, I don't know. So it was just kind of like happy to be there. And then I, I played two games and got sent back down and they were happy with, with me logging those minutes. And it was a simple assignment and done. And then the next year um, I get <clears throat> called up, sent down, called up, sent down, you know, called up, don't even play a game, sent back down. It was just like, I was getting ping pong all over the place. Not really. I, I struggled mentally there where I'm like, what is going on? And then I wasn't doing well in the A and it's kind of like this mental game. And, uh, and that was tough. And then I ended up getting traded 
to Ottawa from Colorado and fresh start. Great. I go back, I play in the HL and I'm, I'm killing it. I, I was point per game and playing well, having a lot of fun. And it was a good switch for me. And, uh, oh, sorry. And, uh, and then, um, you know, this is the up and down, up and down, get a trade. And then the next year I'm like, yes, okay. Now I'm getting a shot. Lockout. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just timing. Just get, you know, it was like, I was two games next year, six games next year. I'm like, okay, I might break through here. Lockout. I'm like, oh crap. But we had an awesome year in Binghamton. You know, we had Spezza down there and uh, we finished first, lost first round, which really sucked. But, uh, you know, I thought I'd have, you know, a decent, um, a decent year there, set myself up for the next year. And then the next year had great numbers, played well in the A and then, uh, not a sniff, didn't get a, didn't get a single game up. Um, <clears throat> didn't get a contract offer to renew cause I was done then. And, uh, and that's, that was basically it. Then it was kind of like, well, what do I do now? And that's when Europe came to mind. So when you decide or when you're considering, uh, the move, overseas you know you, you said before that you had to think about the deal with Colorado for all of a minute because you have those other options including your five-year education package now you're thinking okay I'm having some good years but I'm not getting the option to go back up to the National Hockey League so if I'm not being renewed here you want to keep playing and you've made that clear you've got that addiction what was the decision making process like to decide okay I'm I'm going to go overseas and play hockey yeah, I think the, I think the the main factor was kind of comparing what could be to what I have, and I I had to decide: do I do I like the status quo? Do, can I play in the AHL, get two or three games a year, kind of thing, fill in, maybe break through, maybe not. Um, at that point, too, I was twenty four, you know. So um, Ottawa at the time has six years of drafts beneath me or above me. Right. So you, you have to try and think about realistically what your future is like. And, and then when I weighed that against going to, to Europe, you know, it's less games played, it's easier on your body, you know, no more hacking and whacking or, or I guess less hacking and whacking and less fighting. Um, and, and the money was much better in Europe than it was in the AHL for sure. So I, I signed a one-year deal thinking that I would go there, see how it goes. And then, and then figured out halfway through and about two months into the season, I signed a two-year extension because it was, it was awesome. It was a ton of fun. It was, you know, to talk about the, the previous year of the, or the, the year to the lockout um, up and down, up and down, not knowing where I was going to be, you know what I mean? Living out of the suitcase. It was, it was not an ideal life. Um, but then going to Europe, everything just slowed down and it was, you know, guaranteed money, it was, you know, housing and it was a car and all these perks that come with it. And then uh, the, the way of life is just so much easier and, and less stressful. What was the hockey like? It was good. You know, I, I think um, in Europe, including Russia, I think Russia is like competitive with the NHL, like how good it is. Obviously, there's um, bigger names that come to the NHL, but I think the, the hockey there is good and the, the money as well. And then I think, you know, there's Sweden's got a really, really good league. I think Germany, Switzerland, you have, you know, kind of like the maybe the second or third tier over there. But I think the hockey itself um, was good. I, I enjoyed it. Like it was more my game. Like talk about not having to be Eric Lindros and being Merrill. That's that's what I wanted to do, right? So it was a lot more 
bigger ice for one, a lot more speed, a lot more skill, um, definitely comparing it to the AHL and, and, and a lot more fun, that's for sure. And your production never really tailed off a, a ton while you were over there. What was the secret to maintaining that kind of pace? You know, so if, if you go from a first line center, you're expected to get X amount of points. You're expected to produce. And then maybe, you know, five or six years into your career, you're battling for the first set. So you can change your game a little bit. Now I'm a two-way center. Now I'm still, I'm just as valuable, maybe more. So I can, you know, work on that second unit and still contribute offensively, but be dependent on. And then maybe in your later years, you're a third or fourth line center where you still have value. Um, it's just in a different aspect of the game. So my numbers did slowly fade but that's how that's the natural progression of a hockey career you know it's in in my eyes anyway um and that's the you know a testament to my longevity that i was able to play 14 years but if i had have been nope i'm a first line center that's it maybe i only played four or five so you have to be um you have to be cognizant of, of your abilities and and your value like i said you're a commodity sometimes so you, you have to just kind of figure out where you are did you have a favorite spot to play? Uh, my last five years over there was in Cologne, Germany, and I loved it. Awesome city, <clears throat> um, great fans, great rink. Like the rink sat eighteen thousand five hundred. Like it was a huge rink, and it was a big market team. Uh, ton of fun. Uh, Uva Krupp, you remember that name? Sure do. He was my coach over there for <clears throat> the first few years there, and and uh, awesome guy to play for you know players coach had a lot of fun and uh yeah cologne was definitely uh one of my favorites for sure was it tough then to to come back and you know kind of reacquaint yourself with north america or was home always you know we're gonna get back there someday um we always knew uh, my wife and i and the kids we always knew when i retired he was going to be back in canada that you know that was uh, it's where our family is it's where our roots are um, so that was never a question. Uh, the question was, was when, and, you know, as my, you know, years uh, started to fade, I kind of knew, um, I knew I, I, I wanted to retire because I wanted to retire. I didn't want to re retire because I couldn't find a job. And um, that year, my contract was up. Um, they weren't renewing, which was fine. And I'm like, I'm going to have to go to a new city or a new country, new school for my kids, you know, new setup. And, and I just realized at the time, like, I have to, I have to retire at some point. I'm not going to play till I'm 60. So I'm like, it's going to happen whether it, whether I retire at 35 or 37 or 45 or whatever it is, I'm going to have to do this. And am I ready to do it right now? The answer was yes at the time. So, you know, it was, it was an easier decision for me and my family at the time. It was just the, the right, the right moment. When you're over there, how many guys do you cross paths with that you had earlier in your career? Because I get the sense that so many end up over playing somewhere in Europe. Yeah, and I think Germany is a bit unique because um, there's there's usually an import rule, a non-German passport, or if you're in Switzerland, a non-Swiss passport, right? So you're only allowed so many imports. So I was an import because I was a Canadian passport the whole time, still am. 
Um, so I was playing as an import. So in Germany was the most, I think my first year might've been 12 and then it dropped at 11, then dropped to 10. So I think right now, yeah, it's nine or 10. So you got nine or 10 other, well, usually North Americans, you know, you have some uh, Swedes or you have Czechs, you have other uh, nationalities, but usually the majority are North American guys. So even for my, you know, off ice stuff for my wife, she's got other options of, of girls to hang out with. And it just makes it a lot easier. Whereas if you went to, I don't know, if you went to, to Russia and there's only one other Canadian person on the team, that, that's your option kind of thing. So Germany was, was a good spot for us um, because of that support. We also lived in a, in a community that had a international school nearby. So there's a lot of British people in our neighborhood. So it was just a really, really good fit for us. You know, it's, it's pretty incredible to think back of crossing paths together in the Ontario Hockey League. And now here we are with you again, still playing, but the family, three kids. What do, what do your wife and kids think of daddy slash husband still the hockey player going out to play for the Allura Rocks a couple times a week? Yeah, they, they like, I think the kids like it. Um, my wife probably wishes I'd hang them up, but uh, <laughs> it's funny because like I have, like I said, three daughters, they're all playing hockey. Of course, none of them are on the same team because I spread them out three years. And so we're at the rink already like, like five nights a week. And then you get a Friday off, like sweet Friday night off. Now dad goes and plays. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> we, I don't play that many games. I think I played eight this year. I played five last year out of a 22 game schedule. So I play when I can. Um, but, uh, you know, we do still like to have movie nights and, uh, you know, have, have a slow night at the house where everything kind of, we work on family time, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an addiction. I'll, I'll give it up eventually. Eventually they'll probably tell me like, Hey, Charlie, let, let the kids play, but I haven't been told it yet. Well, if, if you're not out on the ice though, you've, you've dabbled in coaching, you talk about coaching your kids. Is that something that you'd consider as the next phase of your hockey career? Uh, I don't know. It, it's tough because I considered it when I retired. But like I mentioned earlier, I chose to retire. It was on my terms and, and I was happy with the decision. But if I had a turn to coaching, it's almost like you're hitting the reset button as far as stability. Like what's the longevity of a coach anywhere? Like two or three years. So I'm, 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 you know, I'm putting my family through that where I'd have to move every year or two to a new town to try and build my career up. And then it's just, it wasn't a, a it wasn't a family decision or it wouldn't have been a good family decision for me to get into coaching, even though I, I honestly, I, I, I think I would really enjoy it and it is a fulfilling um, job, but uh, it's just this time in my life, it's just uh, family first. And that's an easy decision for me. When you look back on the scope of all of it, Charlie, from that entry to the Ontario hockey league to the, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, retirement uh, from the game when you came home from Europe, do you, do you ever find yourself just sitting back and kind of marveling at what hockey has brought to your life, what you've been able to do in the game? Uh, I do. I do think about it sometimes uh, going for a, a jog or, or just, you know, when you have some downtime, but um, I am, I'm just so thankful that I had the opportunity to do what I did. I know there was one point in my second year pro when I was talking about up and down, up and down, all that stuff, there was a time where I considered just quitting, giving up. It was a low point, And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. It was just such a, a battle. Um, and I 
talked to a sports psychologist at the time, which was great and super helpful. And, and you know, it turned my game around. <clears throat> and uh, and then I played 12 more years, ended up playing 14 years pro. And and uh, so I, I look at moments in my career and where I played and that and all the countries we've been to and traveled around. Like I'm, I'm very fortunate to have uh, had the success and had the opportunity um, in my playing career. And I, and I think on top of that too, the what what hockey does to you and what sport does the competitiveness the the adversity you face you know it shapes you as a person you know and when you got knocked down you get back up and, and all those kind of sayings and and they're all true it's um it, it shapes you as a person as a man or a, a female it, it it's so uh I, I kind of i feel for people that don't get the opportunity to play sport and to challenge themselves and to to kind of figure out what you got inside you and it, it was I reflect back on it and I'm, I'm very thankful that I was able to do that able to challenge myself able to have success and, and do what I did you keep up with any of the teams especially in the old Guelph London that you used to play for to be totally honest no out of it right <laughs> even the NHL, like I do I, I like uh getting the kids off to school and my wife goes to work and I'm here doing whatever I'm doing and uh you know, having a cup of coffee and watching the highlights of the NHL games, but I really, I don't sit down and watch a full game. Um, we do go once or once or twice a year to a golf storm game because we're close. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I don't follow it. Not because I don't enjoy it. It's just busy. I'm busy. You know, busy like kids, work, everything. For sure. And, and like we were talking earlier that it just so happens that we're having this conversation after Dustin Brown's number is retired. We're having this conversation just after a weekend where the Ontario Hockey League was a presenting sponsor of a professional women's hockey players association series of events. What about, what about one of your girls? I mean, there's more and more talk about the women's game. What if they end up pursuing the game professionally? It's funny you said that because um, they went to uh, that game in Kitchener. Uh, what That was Sunday night. Just past Saturday. Yeah. Saturday, yeah. Yep. So they went to that game. Um, they, like I said, they all play. So it was kind of like an organizational thing. They bought tickets and they all went a bunch of the different teams and, and watched that. And and I think it's great. You know, I'm having three daughters, which I never thought I would have three daughters. But having three daughters, it's like girl power. Like it's it's they they love it. We watch you know movies and we see the the professional women's hockey and. And I'm, I'm such an advocate for them and I'm their biggest cheerleader and I, and I love that kind of stuff. So yeah, them watching that game, they come over and talk about it. Like, oh, that was pretty cool. And, and um, there was a Canada U S game. We went to a couple of years ago and one of our, we were in a tournament, no clue or something, but it's just great for them to see that. And it's a great, um, you know, it's great role models and things to aspire to. And I, and I, I'd like um, that that's something that's growing for sure. It sounds like the transition from, pro hockey player to girl dad suits you pretty well charlie yeah i i love it wouldn't change a thing it's funny because we had we had three girls and even my wife after we had the third she's like well we can try for a fourth i'm like no no (laughs) that's enough yeah no but i love wouldn't change a thing it's awesome it's uh it's really incredible to get this chance to catch up with you and i appreciate you making time in this very busy adult life of yours to uh, talk a little bit of hockey with me thanks very much for doing this Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Mike. It was awesome.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.